The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available from the Word of God. Well, we need to make a decision on whether we're going to talk about your flesh or my flesh. (laughs) Who's more exciting, my flesh or your flesh? For years, I believed that good flesh was simply righteousness. A lot of us churchy people, particularly people actually grew up inside a do-good church, found a grave reality that when they got older, all the do-gooding didn't really help that much. That became my generation. My parents would have been more of the do-gooder church group, even though Jane, for example, obviously us being the same age, that she grew up as a do-good Christian. I didn't attend church, really, outside of visits, until right around the time I met Jane. And then we started going to her do-good church. And you learn all the right things to say and do. And I had, it was like learning a foreign language. I had to learn the rules of engagement at the Do Good Church. So what happened in me is that it created a crisis of belief because I knew they're all lying. Because see, I was out there used to selling drugs. I was a stripper. And I was into the underground. And I was out there living a lifestyle that was pretty honest. And then I'm stepping into this do-good church environment because I love the woman that is connected to the do-good church environment. So I wanted to learn her language. So I worked as hard as I possibly could to learn her language. And I immediately came to a crisis going, there is something wrong with these people. I didn't have any formal training of Bible or good theology. I just came from a background that was more honest than theirs. So it created this sense of anxiety for me. Then this book gets thrown on my desk, and I opened up the book, found the number of Grace Fellowship, before even really knowing how to read this thing or to read effectively. And I wanted to talk to the author of this book. Always go to the source. I was surprised I got him. And he adopted me that day on the phone. I live in Midwest Iowa and he lived in Denver. And I got adopted by this guy and he started piece by piece taking me through my dilemma. And my greatest complaint was, These Christians are fake. And I'm the real deal. 
I'll say it as I see it. I'll write it if I want to write it. I'll dance it if I want to dance it. I'll sing it if I want to sing it. Why not? How come these people cannot be real? Well, little did I realize that my flesh during that period of time became trained to be good flesh because I was a people pleaser. So I learned my rebellion was a reaction to the fact that actually I had good flesh. I was a good boy. One time I walked out of a store that I robbed and I got to the corner and there was an old lady who was getting ready to walk across the street. I should have been on the run. This is literally two doors down from the store I robbed. And I stopped everything in my life to make sure that grandma got across that street. And greeted her on the other side. She's laying her head on me, you know, patting me. Because see, that was the real me. The reaction which I labeled me turned out to be the opposite of the real me. And that's why you can look at some rebels and go, you know, the guy's really got a good heart. That's what he's designed to be. He just needs to get saved. So, Janie's goody, goody, good two-shoe flesh kind of stuff was appealing to me, but at the same time, it made me sick. How all these people, just come to Sunday school class and read the little booklet and stand and say these were, you know, it was just annoying to me. I'm like, is there anything real here? Well, that set me off on this mission of truly understanding my flesh, which it took a discipler to actually be able to show me my flesh. Here's our bottom line coming in from the top is my flesh is actually God's enemy. No matter how good it acts, or well-trained it is to jump through hoops, it is God's enemy. Any good idea is unrighteous if it's not empowered by the life of Christ. So flesh exhibits patterns, reactions, or sinful actions that reveal the believer's self-life which is really the trash left behind by the old nature. It's not the old nature, theologians that are listening. It's the trash. You know, before we leave this auditorium, I was encouraged by the pastor, please make sure you get the vacuum out and put it in. And it almost came out of his mouth, the same condition that you found it this morning. And I said in better condition. Got a great big smile on his face. See, that's got to be our difference. Don't meet the standard expectation. You guys mess this place up and put cookie crumbs on the floor. You should probably clean it up. No, that'd be the standard. The going above and beyond requires something inside the character of that person that is beyond the norm of churchism. That's what Christ wants us to do. 
gives him the coat too. You see? It's, don't just do what is expected. Give him the coat too. Because that puts it all back on them, either as in joy or in sorrow. Heaping burning coals on their head. Well, that wasn't my goal with him. The goal with him was joy. We have to know, well, what is good flesh and how can God call it his enemy if it's doing good things? That was my mystery trap with the Reformed Church. Looked like Jesus, sound like Jesus, smell like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, but I'm not sure it's Jesus. The I'm not sure part is what this message is supposed to do. So the fleshly reactions lead the believer to life, Christ's life, or death, flesh, the trash, the old man left behind. If the believer continues to choose self-life decisions, we believe God will bring this person to the end of himself through consequences formed by their own flesh. This, without question, leads the person to, hopefully, Repentance, not repentance, but repentance. Repentance actually is not a good word. It comes from the Catholic Church. And initially, it, it, penance is associated with requirements on the follower to pay their dues. Pay their repentance. And that's pretty nasty. Where you have to re-crucify Christ. That's why they leave him on the wall still on the cross. It's a, penance is a re-crucifying. That's why a couple of the Bible characters talked about that. True repentance is a tough word because of where it came from to use, but today most people see it as, when they hear it, as, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? So we're going to use it. But true repentance is joining what already exists in Christ, aligning yourself with Christ's beliefs of what he did already on the cross. That's why I don't encourage disciples to ask Christ for forgiveness. Do not and have not for many years. What you do is you join God in his alignment and work that he completed in offering forgiveness on the cross so many years ago. So the difference would look like this. Lord, thank you very much for the power of your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for providing a way of forgiveness by taking the penalty on yourself and paying the price. No penance on my part. You see? I embrace the forgiveness you already have given to me. It's not begging and pleading for it because that comes from the Catholic Church. 
It is simply accepting what already exists. So when it comes to people, it's different because they don't have the power to forgive you. So when you say to someone, hey, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? What you're hoping to accomplish in this is to lead them further and further into discovering what I just said to you. And it does release them temporarily to have some kind of relationship with you. Usually. And it does heap burning coals on their head. Which seems to be a biblical mandate. So, the purpose of our teaching in this is into all Christians walking after the flesh produce problems. When a believer chooses their own way over God's way, that person is walking after the flesh. They can't walk in the flesh. If you're using those terms right now, oh, I was just walking in my flesh. After and in are identity statements. You can't walk in something that is already dead. You can walk after its habits. You can't walk after the Spirit without being in the Spirit. So in a lot of our readings, you'll notice in and after the Spirit. Same thing that comes with this, flesh. If you truly are indwelt and you're born again and you're appropriating the work that's already been done on the cross and the old man has been taken out and hung on the cross for co-crucifixion, it does not live inside you anymore. You can't walk in it. So you can walk after the trash it left behind. Old habits. That are not you. And that's why Paul said these words literally, quote unquote, for it is no longer I who sins, but sin that dwells within me. He's not speaking of old nature, nor has Greek even come close to explaining that's what it means. He is speaking of the crap that the old nature left behind. That was stuffed in there by Satan as you were growing up. And I'll be showing you that a little later. So here's our life to death decision. This is another real popular diagram a lot of people like to use. What you have in that great big blue arrow there, off to the left, is the seven areas of life. Psychological, spiritual, physical, social, financial, marital, and parental. And these problems that we just were talking about are used in one more or all of these areas to lead you to a decision or a question, which will ultimately require a decision. In that process, it typically starts activating more problems, control issues. But what you want to do is be brought to this decision point. Am I going to choose life or am I going to choose death? If I choose life, it's going to require a release of the life of Christ within me to produce this overflow of the Holy Spirit in you. If you choose my way, the devil's already won. 
You know, I was saved at 16 years of age, but I certainly would say I did not come to embrace the cross until I got to Denver. In fact, honestly, I tell Dr. Solomon, that's probably when I got saved. And he said, probably. I have my mark on the calendar from my youth, and I have my point of transformation. Now, why is that significant? It's huge because the facts are that Satan had, from my birth all the way to my discipleship process with Dr. Solomon, when I already had two kids, he had that much time to program my mind with crap. And that makes a huge difference in deliverance. The amount of crap you have in your junk drawer is really adding amount of time for you to clean your junk drawer. Well, here Jane had this lifestyle of, I didn't think she even had a junk drawer. There's one time she said to me, yeah, I don't get this rejection stuff. My parents, this is quote, never rejected me. See, the ends and out of rejection book just turned my life upside down. And I'm like, wow, she is literally living in Covertville. <laughs> and it took a handful of years before she got it that she actually experienced the worst kind of rejection there is. So coming to this decision point my way has got a nice ugly list to it. Or Christ's way, there's a blockage there too because you're going to have to release Christ to let that happen so that there will be fruit and overflow in life that will come out of that decision. So something has to happen, we need to look at it. Here's our downward spiral. This is one of the most used diagrams I use. And here's the beauty behind this, and those of you who are not looking at the visuals on or through the podcast, we'd encourage you to open up that PDF, look at these diagrams, because I'll be the first to admit they're profound. They're simple. They help you understand, particularly this concept I keep beating on called the slide. Now view this downward spiral as a slide. While I was dating Jane, she took me to this little podunk town by Sioux Center. I think we had a picnic there at the bottom of the slide. They had the most awesome slide in the world. This little podunk town. And I like going there and going down the slide, you know, because you get that butt off of the slide thing feeling and, you know, my adrenaline thrill. And I got lots of fond memories there. Now, the worst thing that could happen to you when you're going down a slide is what? Get hurt. No, that's the best. <laughs> What's the worst? Your skin sticking to the... Yeah. Okay, so what that slide needs is a little oiling. 
That's where water slides were invented. Did you know that? To get that person down that slide just absolutely just as fast as possible. This concept is what we're talking about for a discipler. Is when someone comes to you and they're at the top of this slide, just full on self-life. Why in the world are you going to give them counsel to get the grand aha? That's going to take about four years to get them there or longer. So they come in and they, you start to help them go down this slide and they're going, <laughs> getting stuck. So instead of rescuing them, you should get the oil can out. And you just stand up there and oil that because you know that oil is just going to go on down the slide and it's going to cut them loose. The faster they get to the bottom of the slide, the sooner they're going to go into that dark hole. It's the tomb. The self-life downward spiral is embracing the cross. Death to self. The black hole at the bottom of this spiral is the tomb. You have to go in it. So let's get you in there as fast as we can. And then when you're in that tomb is when Typically, from what I see in Scripture and in my own life and the lives of others, Christ shows up and has a little talk with you and says, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to help you get out of this tomb because I already paid this price. You don't need to stay in this dark place. There's only one thing required before you're going to get up those steps. Well, what's that? And that's what the next slide is for. You see, self-condemnation, self-occupation, self-pleasing, self-condemning, self-defenses, spiritual pity, self-destruction. They all got to happen. That has to happen so that the person does. You don't slide down a spirit slide. You have to crawl up. I never like going up the ladders. I like to crawl from the bottom. In that dark place, Jesus is saying, you first have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, and let's go get her done. So you come out of that dark place in a constant state of denying self and cross-bearing. In other words, whatever it is that's on my list, I'm going to accept now and embrace it. I have a lot of my paintings and my work that I've done with art on my walls and in people's homes, you know, wherever. But my absolute favorite is hanging above our piano. And it's called Embracing the Cross. And Jesus is hanging on to that cross almost like he doesn't ever want to let it go. When I first saw that picture, and it's actually a film clip from a movie... I just broke down and wept because I got that. We need to embrace our cross. Whatever the hellish, demonic, evil things that that cross represents, we need to embrace it. Then there's going to be a release. 
So from cross-bearing, it comes with worship and praise. My expectations are from God, not my friends or others that you know I reach out to. Mature love, it comes from God because He is love, not from Facebook because they proclaim to be God. And then spiritual freedom, from spiritual freedom, you reach out to others. There you have it, those two diagrams. The whole process of discipleship. You might want to buy an oil can. Oil of the Holy Spirit. Assist the Holy Spirit in the destruction process. Not restrain it. Assist. We bail people out every day when we should not be doing so. Next diagram, discerning the flesh. Number one under that box is, are my decisions to benefit my flesh life or are my decisions, box two, to benefit the spirit of the life of Jesus Christ? So these scriptures that are there, I would encourage you to look those up and keep it connected with the question in regard to What's the scripture say about, is this about my self-interest? Well, this verse says it better not be. Better be about the interests of others. So there's some very easy ways to find out if this is a flesh thing you're doing. How many people here actually believe that you can give a gift to someone, which is a very kind thing, right? And it's just pure flesh. You see, but if you get a gift from pure flesh and it's a nice gift and you get a gift from someone and it's pure spirit, just the mere presence and ability to enjoy the spirit gift, even if they were like things, is so different. One produces guilt, wonder, question, why are they doing this, blah, blah, blah. And the other one is like, Jesus is all over this thing. You do really need to, if you're going to sit back and do some thinking, you got you got to look at your flesh and go, what does my flesh look like? Because if you look into the mirror dimly, like Paul was in the habit of doing, me too, I'm with you, Paul. I look in the mirror and go, yeah, baby. <laughs> Not... You know, because of flesh. To be able to look in the mirror and go, I love you, guy, in Christ. But boy, I sure hate your flesh. But Paul would speak of his flesh like it was a separate entity. It is not I who sins, but sin within me. He's not ignoring responsibility, he's clarifying identity. And that's how I want to be as well. So, an example under, is my decision benefiting the spirit? Am I doing, am I doing it through Christ? Well, sometimes that is a mystery to people. Well, when is it Christ doing it through me versus me? Fruit. It's a real simple answer. 
If you haven't noticed that, it's all the way through the diagram so far. Fruit, fruit. You should know them by the fruit. How do you know if it's real fruit? You bite into it for Pete's sake. That's how you determine if a grape is from Walmart, <laughs> from their plastic department. Bite into it. Test it. So God does. Well, you say you're joyful. Try this one. And you just get tumbled around for a day. Say, I see joy there or discontentment and distress and difficulties and darkness and ugliness and bad attitude. And yeah, fake, fake fruit. Go to the fruit department. Get some real grapes. That's what we're saying here. Plastic fruit on top, real grapes on the bottom. If it's from the bottom, you can eat it, serve it, give it away, and reproduce life. If you give it from the top, people are like, um, this isn't working. While you're eating a plastic grape, it's just to keep your mouth busy. There's Satan. Just keeping you busy. I don't care if it's real or fake. It's just keeping you busy. Satan's a busy guy. He's a performer. And as many of you have heard me say many times, he's a perfectionist. He's OCD. I can guarantee you there's no spots on his suits. He's OCD. He's controlled by his rules. And you know what? He's going to do a pretty good job of controlling the entire world with his rules. And people are going to follow him. Bottom line is, my flesh exhibits patterns, reactions, and sinful actions that reveal the believer's self-life. Trash left behind by the old nature. These fleshly reactions lead the believer to Christ. Or they could lead the unbeliever to death. Hopefully for a decision to have life. If the believer continues to choose self-life decisions, we believe God will bring this person to the end of himself through consequences, the oiling of the slide, formed by their own flesh, this without question leads the person to repentance. Jesus says, all of you are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. So I can actually see, which is what I did with my kids and now I do with my grandkids, I stand at the bottom of the slide and I wait. And as they come flying down, you see a little fear, you know, the younger they are, I've seen, you know, the grandkids like, oh, you know, it's really rookie dookie slide, not a real biggie, but it's thrilling for them. So the parent is thrilled, and you're standing there waiting, and of course they fly into your arms. That's how I see this. That's the whole goal, is to have that kiddo fly into the hands of their husband. Bringing it to the bottom line is, let's get that kid down that slide. Quickly. Fast.
so that Daddy or Jesus at the bottom of that slide can say, well done, son, well done. Let's do it again. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.